Um, I wanted to talk tonight, we're talking about doc, Christian doctrine in ways that I hope um, are understandable, uh, not just for church people, but for other people maybe watching by television that aren't familiar with church terms or, or terminology. The sermon this evening is entitled Salvation, Past, Present, and Future. There are three tenses of salvation. Usually we just talk about the past tense. When were you saved? How old were you? When did you get baptized? Those kinds of things. But uh, there, there's some other aspects of salvation that are, happen more than just in the past tense. And I want us to look at those tonight. The three passages, and they're in order of past, present, and future. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, talks about salvation in the past tense. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So listen, you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So see the past tense. By grace you have been saved through faith. Now back up to 1 Corinthians 1.18. Paul's talking about the cross here to the Corinthians. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, present tense, it is the power of God. Present tense. Back up to Romans 5, 9. Future tense. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved, future tense, by him from the wrath of God? Salvation, past, present, and future. So rather than just seeing salvation as something that happened in our childhood 40, 30, 50 years ago, salvation is something that is happening and will happen as well. Let's bow together. Father, take the words of this scripture and apply them to our hearts so we see the work of salvation, not just something that occurred to us in our childhood or in our youth, but something that you still want to work out in us with fear and trembling and, and that you are planning for us in the future too so that we never rest. We're never made perfect until... Jesus calls us home. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I remember the 70s and 80s, we used to walk up to people in college and ask them if they were saved. Most of them would reply curtly, I didn't know I was lost. Or saved from what? And, and I guess that approach didn't work too well. Not many of us today would, like that, would take that approach in sharing our faith. Are you saved? There's a good reason why it didn't work. Folks in the church, I think, have a different language from those outside the church. It's called the language of Zion. We talk about in the church things like accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord or making a profession of faith or walking the aisles or saved by the blood of the Lamb. We talk about those things in the church, but most of the people outside the church don't know what we're talking about. They aren't converted by those words. More, more likely, they're confused by them. So I've been trying to take some of the great doctrines of the Christian faith and explain it in ways that folks both 
within and without the walls of the church can understand to grasp what we as Christians say we believe. The word salvation is pretty simple. It simply means liberation or release or deliverance. We use the word saved every day the same way the biblical writers used it. The student who was called on by the teacher but was not prepared to recite was what? Saved by the, the bell. Saved by the bell. When the biblical writers speak of being saved, they mean we're delivered. And they speak of it in three tenses. Past tense, something that God has done in the past and demands a response. Present tense, something that God is continuing to do and work out in our lives. In future tense, something that God will complete on the day of judgment. So I'm going to take them real simply in that order. The first thing is past tense. Salvation is something that God has done in the past and requires a response from us. What has God done? Colossians 1.13 says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He has rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. That's something that happened in the past. There's a story that comes from the life of Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer in the 16th century. The devil approached him one day and tried to discourage him with the fact that all people, including Luther, were sinners. All were fallible. And to prove his point, he presented a list to, to Luther, a list of all the sins of which he was guilty. And Luther said, if you try a little harder, I think you can come up with some more. And the devil did. And he showed him that list too. And Luther said, now write across all those sins in red ink, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what God has done. He's come in the flesh in Jesus. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. And so salvation is something that God has done for us in the past, and it demands a response. What we do with God's offer of salvation, with his willingness to save us and deliver us from sin and fear, what we do with all of that is our decision. It's not his. He offers it. He pleads with us to take it. But the choice is still ours. Augustine said it like this. The God who made you without you will not save you without you. The God who made you without you will not save you without you. In other words, it requires a response. Salvation is not something God did to you. It's something that God did for you. It's his offer. And like anything else that's offered, you have a choice of accepting it or rejecting it. There's another thing I want to bring up here at this point because a lot of folks doubt their salvation. They question their salvation experience. They think because their experience wasn't like Paul's blinding light experience on the Damascus Road, then they may not be saved. But listen to me. No two people have the same salvation experience. Some people have a dramatic experience but most people come to faith kind of like spring coming into season. It's gradual, it's slow with, with starts and stops. It isn't important how you become aware of God's love and grace. What matters is what you choose to do with it, how you respond to it. And so in that sense, salvation is something 
that occurred in the past, it's been offered to you, and you have a choice to accept it or reject it. It's, so first of all, it's something God has done for us and demands a response. But second, salvation refers to something God is continuing to do in our lives. That's the present tense. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Most of us refer to salvation only in past tense. When were you saved? I was saved at seven. But Paul says it's something that still goes on. I love the passage in Philippians 2.12 where he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are saved, yes, but you are continuing to, to work with it, to, to let God grow it in you, to build it. Um, and it, and it's, it's something that you do with all seriousness and all um, concentration, fear and trembling. Some of you may remember Frank Howard, who was the football coach at Clemson. One week, it was a bad week in practice. His first and uh, second string quarterbacks were both injured. And when he began practice the next week, his third string quarterback got hurt on Monday and his fourth string quarterback got hurt on Tuesday. So on Wednesday, Howard called his fifth string quarterback over to where he was standing. He looked at him and he said, poof, you are now a first string quarterback. Coach Howard knew differently, of course because he knows you only grow into a first-string quarterback, that it only comes after hard work and preparation and lots of practice. And a lot of Christians want to say, poof, now I'm a mature Christian. But it, ha it doesn't just happen with the blink of an eye. It happens with time and discipleship and mentoring and accountability and spending time with the Lord. That's the way it is in our spiritual life. Sometimes people get frustrated with their Christian life and say, why can't I be a better Christian like she is? Or why can't I serve like that deacon does? Well, guess what? They weren't born that way. They have been reborn, but just as important, they have grown in grace. They have allowed God not only to save them, but to teach them and to lead them and disciple them. And there's no shortcut for that kind of spiritual maturity. There was an, an atheist barber whose good friend was a Christian, and they used to debate all the time the Christian's faith. Back and forth, it was mutually respectful, but also um, challenging. One day, they were, they were friends, and they were out riding together through a part of the slum of the city in which they lived, and the atheist barber thought this was a good opportunity to make a point he turned to his friend and said, see there, if there really was a God, why does he permit people to lead such violent lives and spend their lives half drunk like that person? About the time that disheveled man crossed the street in front of them and his hair was long and stringy and his beard needed trimming and his friend seized the moment, his Christian friend, and says, see there, why do you barbers permit people to walk around the streets so badly in need of a shave and a haircut. And the barber said, wait a minute, that's not fair. He never gave me a chance to clean him up. And the Christian said, exactly. God gives us a choice. And we can receive him or reject him. 
Some people haven't really given God much of a chance to make any improvement. We were saved on such and such day, case closed, that was it. I got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven, I don't need to do anything else. Only God doesn't want us to close the case there. He wants to continue working in us and developing us, conforming us to the image of his son Jesus. And that takes time. So Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's so much need. People whose salvation is assured, they know they're saved, but they still speak words of hatred and violence and prejudice. People converted years ago have never become servants of Jesus, the kind of, of servants that he called us to be. People who surrendered their lives in a precious moment in a revival, surrendered only a portion of their hearts. And they held on tightly to the rest because they thought God might really want to make something new out of them. And that frightened them. And so they let Jesus be their Savior, but they've never really let him be their Lord and take ownership of their lives and grow them and develop them and mature them because salvation is a present tense. And present tense is ongoing, continuous action. There's no warrant for any less salvation. God began a new work, and now he wants to bring it to completion, to perfection, if we'll just let him. So there's salvation in the past when we were saved. There's salvation in the present when God is continuing to work and develop us. But there's a third way that salvation is spoken of quite clearly in the scriptures, and I mentioned it in Romans 5, 9. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more? Future tense, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. It's referring, of course, to the deliverance that's going to take place on Judgment Day. Now, we don't like to talk much about Judgment Day, but it's going to happen. The scripture says plainly, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. What do we have to offer on our behalf as we stand before God with our lives in open book to hear the sentence passed. What shall we say for ourselves? We didn't know any better. Most of, us, most of us know better. We know what God wants of us, what he expects of us. And we know how far short of the mark we have come. So the problem isn't our knowing. The problem is doing how can we deal with judgment? The answer is clear for those who know Jesus. We shall be saved. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that he was so sure that he shall be saved that he would be willing to grab a cornstalk and swing out over the fires of hell and look the devil in the eye and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And you can be that sure too. Grab a cornstalk, swing over the fires of hell and spit in the devil's eye and say, Jesus is mine. Amen. Amen. Let me close with a parable to kind of put this in perspective for you. A certain man decided he would swim from Los Angeles to Hawaii. He wasn't very smart, but he was determined. He spent years preparing 
and working with the best swimming coaches that could be found. And finally the day came and he walked out into the ocean and began to swim the vast Pacific starting in Los Angeles, heading southwest for Hawaii. He swam out further and further, five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, at 20 miles, he was exhausted, couldn't go any further. He'd never be able to swim to Hawaii. It was simply too far. And a motorboat came by. With the last ounce of energy, the swimmer called out, Save me, please, save me. And the owner of the motorboat looked down at the drowning swimmer and said, Friend, you're in trouble. What you need is a waterproof edition of my book on how to swim to Hawaii. It will tell you everything you need to know. Here, catch it. He threw the book to the man and he sped off and left the drowning man uh, swimming no better off. But not to fear, another motorboat came by. And the swimmer called out, save me, please save me. And the owner of the boat looked down and said, friend, you're in trouble. What you need is someone to show you how to swim. And with that, he jumped into the water and he demonstrated the Australian crawl and he advised the swimmer to follow his example and everything would be all right. And he got back into his boat and sped away. Situation for the swimmer again seemed hopeless. And finally, a third motorboat came by and again the swimmer cried out, save me, please save me. And the owner looked over the edge of the boat and said, friend, you're in trouble. Worse than that, you're drowning. And so he reached out to the swimmer and pulled him out of the water and set him in a chair and gave him something to eat and drink. And when he finished, the owner said, you know, you're only a couple hundred miles from Hawaii now. You need to get back in the water and swim the rest of the way by yourself. So he got back in the water. He swam a few miles and found himself back in the same situation he'd been before, gasping for breath, going under. Thankfully, a fourth motorboat came by. You're wondering how long this is going to last, don't you? <laughs> a fourth, last one. The fourth and last motorboat came by, and the owner leaned over the edge and said, friend, you're in trouble. Even worse, you're drowning. What you need is somebody to save you. And with that, he reached out and pulled the drowning swimmer into his boat and fed him and gave him something to drink. He told him to sit back and rest until several hours later they docked and the boat captain delivered the swimmer onto the golden sands of Hawaii. Which of these four saved the drowning man? Not the one who just gave him a book of instruction. Not the one who tried to give him a good example. Not the one who only offered temporary help. It was the last one who not only pulled him out of the water, but delivered him safely to his destination. That's what salvation is all about. The assurance that God who came in Christ to die for our sins in the past continues to lead us in our pilgrimage in the present and promises to deliver us safely to our destination in the end. That's his gift, his offer. Whether we accept it or not is, of course, up to each of us. Let's bow together. God, I don't guess we should be surprised that you do all things well. And you've made provision for our every need. 2,000 years ago, you sent Jesus to die on a cross that we might be saved from our sins. And a lot of folks get saved and then 
get stuck and are still at that beginning stage. But you want us to continue growing in our salvation and learning and maturing and being discipled. And then, Lord, finally, you promise to save us in the future. When judgment day comes and we stand before you and our life is an open book and our list of sins is read and we can write across it, all these have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us all be ready for that day. Those of us who are saved to continue growing in our salvation, those watching by television perhaps who are not saved to invite you into their heart to find forgiveness of sins and not just be your, their savior, but to be their Lord too, to take ownership of their lives and to guide them and walk with them and be with them always. We want to be ready when you call us home. We've learned in recent days how frail and fragile life can be. Never knowing that day might come for any one of us between now and next Sunday or next month. When that day and hour comes, Lord, we want to be welcomed home and our salvation be made perfect in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.